Greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place or Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Emmeline Duncan. Emmeline writes a cozy-esque series uh, that features a protagonist who owns a uh, food truck, specifically a coffee truck in Portland. And uh, so it's interesting for a variety of reasons that we are going to get into. Uh, something else that is interesting about Emmeline is that it is a pen name for Kelly Garrett, who has written a young adult mystery called The Last to Die. Uh, that is also pretty cool. So we're going to talk about both Emmeline and Kelly's books on this episode. I had a great time talking to her. I actually got to meet her at Left Coast Crime and hang out with her and her husband for a bit. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and I had a great time talking to her. So Emmeline Duncan in just a moment. But first, I do need to tell you that A Wrong Place or Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it from the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If that sounds like the kind of book you might like, well then check out their website at downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks.com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. Now I have been on a journey with Down and Out Books, and a part of that journey has been the serial novella anthology a grifter's song these are novella length works each of them by a different author set in a different location but the two main characters sam and rachel a pair of con artists are uh, the consistent through thread to these stories think about it uh, like you would a television series that's episodic with a little bit of a series arc to it the most recent episode is from cat richardson uh, it is called Ghost Image, episode 26 of the series. Uh, we're now in season four. And uh, it's a great book and a little spooky and a lot of fun, uh, both of which should not surprise anybody who has read Cat's work in the past. So check out a Grifter song from Down and Out Books. This is a series that you can buy digitally. Uh, after each season ends, you can buy the paperbacks with all of the episodes. And if you are a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, well, then you can read the whole series for free. We're up to 26 episodes and counting. All right, uh, let's talk to Emmeline Duncan about her series, which starts out with the book Fresh Brewed Murder. Well, hello, Emmeline, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So no big secret that I'm dropping here when I say this, uh, but uh, I called you Emmeline, but uh, Emmeline Duncan is actually a pen name, a stage name uh, for Kelly Garrett uh, because you write in two different genres. Yeah, I would say kind of write two different age categories. I write for teens and then I also write for adults, which is sometimes a funny thing to mention because I usually have to clarify when I say for adults, I just mean people over 18, not adults. Not erotica. Exactly. Well, let's talk about what Emmeline Duncan writes, because I think this is a really cool idea for a mystery. Uh, well, it was a mystery book. Now it's a series because you have a second book coming out. Uh, and that is your Ground Rules series. Uh, can you tell people a little bit about what that series is and uh, how you came up with the title? So the Ground Rules mystery series is set around a coffee roaster and a coffee car in Portland, Oregon. The first book, Fresh Food Murder, um, takes place at a food cart pod in the middle of the east side of Portland. My main character, Sage, is the daughter of a notorious grifter and also of a police officer. She has 
an interesting backstory that kind of pulls her in a couple different directions. Uh, when her and her business partner open the, the, their first coffee cart, there is a development happening across the street and she, she meets the developer in charge of it. And then she comes into work the next day and she finds him dead next to her coffee cart, killed by the, her box knife. And it turns out that her mother had grip, um, stolen money from him about a decade before. And so the police are looking at her with a lot of suspicion. And then the second book in the series, Double Shot Death, is continues to follow um, the, the Ground Rules Coffee Cart, this time at an eco-music festival in the outskirts of Portland. So a lot of cool things to unpack there. I guess let's start with the setting. Um, you chose Portland. Now, I know you're a Pacific Northwest uh, author. And so are you in the Portland area then? I am. I live in Northeast Portland, although I actually grew up in rural Oregon, but I moved to the Portland area for university and have stayed here ever since. A few years ago, there was actually a coffee, there was a, a food cart pod right down the street from my house. And my black lab and I would walk to it pretty often because the coffee cart had dog treats and they would joke. They would know we were coming because they would hear my dog barking like, from two blocks away. And when I was there, I realized that a food cart pod is, it's its, its own small community in and of itself. Mm -hmm. The people that have carts there have their own issues they're dealing with, their own kind of like a unique community structure. And I realized that would be a really fun spot to set a mystery. And it feels very Portland, the kind of the small business vibe and the people who really love what they're doing and they're following their passion really worked well for a traditional style mystery. And by traditional, you you mean a, a cozy, essentially. And you've kind of have a basically a small town here uh, in, in this food cart, uh, food truck sort of pod that you're talking about, which is a really common backdrop uh, for cozies. Yeah, if you read a lot of cozies, they're frequently set in small towns. And a lot of times this the series begins with the main character undergoing some kind of change, like opening a business, inheriting a house from the great aunt they barely remember. And the, the, and the fun thing about them is because it is introducing a character to a, a new small community, it's which I did basically the same thing in Ground Rules, introducing a character to a new food cart pod with its own set of rules. It has people coming in and out. It has regulars. It has tourists. It's a fun place to play with because I can create a lot of characters that come in and that have really strong beliefs and that sense of created community. Uh, but you've come at the cozy genre with a little bit of an additional wrinkle uh, from the average everyday cozy. You know what I'm talking about here, right? I totally know. Um, one thing I did with my series is because it is set in a modern city, it deals with, you know, the issues that you have to deal with if you live in a city, um, homelessness, gentrification. I see it as a camera lens. Um the camera, like, it includes everything. You know, there's homeless teens. I have a suspended coffee board as part of the plot. But it doesn't necessarily dwell only on darkness. It, it incorporates those, and it shows them as a real problem that hopefully looks at them with a little bit of hope, right, that these are problems we can solve. But it doesn't spend its time only focusing on the, on the issues, although it also it doesn't sweep them under the rug either. You know, and my characters are in their late 20s, early 30s, and they're dealing with the world where you live in a city and maybe you'll be able to afford a house someday. Maybe not. You know, maybe you'll win the lottery or chances are you'll rent with a roommate until you move into a retirement home. <laughs> well, that's a good point, because the other element that I was uh, referring to, in addition to the topics that you touch on, 
um, is just that the series has somewhat of a, a millennial sensibility to it. Um, and you write about it in a way that a millennial reader could uh, identify with. And that isn't necessarily a typical cozy uh, audience. I would say it historically hasn't been typical, but I think the industry is moving that way. You have books like Kate Lansing's Wine Series in Colorado and like Mimi Lee Gets a Clue um, based in L.A. that are have that more of a millennial vibe that have a younger feel while still staying true to what makes a cozy mystery a cozy. And hopefully it brings in a younger audience without alienating the people that have been fans for decades. And I, I really love the books that bring in that, that younger perspective and the kind of current world we live in. One thing I say I've always loved about cozies is they tend to show women exploring kind of their passions. You know, it's like you, someone who loves to knit and they start a yarn store, you know, or no matter how improbable their love is, they make a career out of it. And by making that career, they find themselves living their best life. And I like that you still see that element in the millennial cozies, but in a way that feels more authentic to people that are in, you know, their 20s, 30s, early 40s now. And if you want to mess with your head, keep in mind that the oldest millennials are, in fact, in their early 40s now. That does mess with my mind, being that I'm a Gen Xer. I mean, as I look at my father-in-law, who worked for one company for 35 years, right? And then I look at, like, my friends, and does anyone even live in the same town for 35 years, let alone (laughs) one job? Uh, Gen Xers tend to lean closer to baby boomers than millennials, I think. As a Gen Xer, if I were going to on a job interview, I'd want to know what hours, what are my job duties, how much does it pay, what are the benefits. And a lot of times, you know, a millennial might want to know if they could bring their dog to work with them, you know. I mean, so it's it's a totally different mindset. And it's that's interesting as, as well. Yeah, looking for the emotional fulfillment is an interesting concept. I mean, because I know so many people that it was, I would say like my growing up, like people, like parents of my friends, you know, yeah, they would maybe worry more about like, what am I paid? And then people, and to my age, are a little bit younger because I'm on the millennial Gen X divide, people younger than me that are like, I want to be fulfilled, right? They don't want to feel like they're just going and spending all their time doing something they mm-hmm. might not care about. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how those different viewpoints can clash in the workplace, you know, I mean, when I was coming up, that doesn't sound boomer enough for you, Gen Xer enough for you. But when, but when I was coming up as a rookie, you showed up at roll call, you sat down, you flipped open your notebook, and you paid attention to what everybody said, especially the sergeant. And you weren't saying a word at roll call until you weren't a rookie anymore, you know, or if you were spoken to. And then near the end of my career, you know, the guys like from my generation were complaining about how the rookies were not only speaking up, but were upset when they weren't getting the choice assignments, you know, because it was their turn. And all the guys were like, it's not your turn for like five years. Shut up. You know, and it's, then uh, they, they behave differently based on their generation. Of course, we're talking generalities here. Exactly. Would you say then that Sage Kaplan is a, if there is one, a prototypical millennial? I don't know that I would say prototypical. I mean, she has, of course, her own idiosyncrasies, but she is someone that has, you know, come of age solely in the middle of like millennials or even uh, slightly on the younger side. I mean, so she definitely has a mix of, of working very hard and caring about doing a very good job, but also wanting to feel fulfilled in what she does and also wanting to give back, you know, whether it's like I mentioned, like my series, I mentioned like suspended coffee boards, which are a real thing where they start a program where if you come in and you 
Like you buy a cup of coffee, you can pre-buy a cup of coffee for someone else that's down on their luck. And so someone could come up later and basically get a free drink, you know, and it's a kind of a way that you're mm-hmm. literally helping make someone's day a little better mm-hmm. while still, you know, actually having a decent business sense. Cause you know, you can't hand out all free cups of coffee if you're a business, right? you know, and she volunteers, you know, in her free time, including with some things involving homelessness. And so she's very aware of the world around her and she's good at reading people with a grifter mom. So she sometimes feels like she's also separate from people because of that background. So in the first book, Sage is solving a murder that is very close to home. In the second book, she goes to this music festival, which is also a very Northwest thing. I mean, music festivals happen all over the place, but there's a very particular vibe in the Pacific Northwest when it comes to outdoor music festivals. What is happening there in Double Shot Death? Which I love your covers, by the way. They're just very... They're they're like cozy with a twist, and they're 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 real. I would encourage people to go to uh, your website and check them out because I can't I can't describe them. They're sort of cartoonish, but uh, in a in a super cool way. Well, and, and shout out to Kensington, the publisher I'm with, because I one think they're doing a fantastic job with the covers, and they've incorporated my feedback. Like I was the one who suggested with the first cover that we should do like a chalkboard font to mm-hmm. mimic the coffee carts board mm-hmm. and they they used it and a lot of the imagery in the double shot death um, cover is actually um, images I suggested which I think is really amazing and it's really nice as a writer to feel like your opinion is valued in that way as far as what the book is about so in double shot death sage has gotten the contract to be the coffee supplier um, for a music festival that's held in the outskirts of Portland on a tree farm it's an eco-friendly festival so it's like a, a stri- they strive to be minimal waste and they have a lot of sort of interesting rules about it. Sage gets the contract through uh, an acquaintance who does some work for her boyfriend's video, de- video game development company. And she's sort of a last minute fill in. And she gets to meet some of the bands before the festival starts and starts to see some of the strife between her friend Maya and the band she used to be with. And it's a band that's on the cusp of making it very big. And she's really frustrated because she hasn't gotten any royalties yet for songs that she wrote. And there's some arguments. And then the next day when Sage is going, she's the first food cart that's up and running because who doesn't want to face the morning without coffee? (laughs) And she finds the dead body of the band manager outside. And she's a little bit concerned when the police end up looking at both her friend, but also her boyfriend for reasons that make total sense in the book. So we're talking about another one that's fairly close to home. We're getting into Cabot Cove territory already here. (laughs) Well, that's one of the reasons I decided to ride around a coffee cart is so that I can move it around. Mm -hmm. Because who would keep going to the same food cart pod that people like regularly died at? Yeah, it wouldn't be ground rules. It'd be under the ground. (laughs) It'd be the name of the place. Uh, I I have to wonder what a uh, minimal waste, uh, eco-friendly music festival looks like. I mean, I, I have this image of people coming up for a cup of coffee and just like cupping their hands and holding them out so that we don't, <laughs> don't waste a cup. <laughs> um, close. So I, I actually base a lot of the festival on Pickathon, which is a festival that happens in Portland or outside of Portland every year. Where, and it's literally on a tree, tree farm. And it's kind of fun. Like when you come, you have to bring like your own you know, water bottles and cups and plates, or you can rent like bamboo plates, like for a deposit over the course of the weekend and return it when you're done. And so, I mean, I wish I could claim 
some of those aspects were like something I thought of, but no, it's something that someone's already doing. And I think it's really amazing. So I'm being a typical Dick Gen Xer, like I'm making fun of it because it's, you know, it's there to make fun of, but at the same time I admire it and I would totally do it. So, you know, the boomers just make fun of it. The millennials take it seriously. We Gen Xers, we speak sarcasm as a second language. So we like dig on it, but we make fun of it first so that we can satisfy both sides of our psyche, I guess. Um, but I do play with it a little bit of like, like you want a coffee? I'm like, well, where's your cup? And it's like, don't you have paper? And I'm like, no, that's in our contract. We couldn't even bring paper sleeves, like coffee cups with us. <laughs> and she sells like hand knitted coffee, like the sleeves, like they go like on the coffee cup, uh, yeah. you know, because you yeah. couldn't even do hand out cardboard ones. That's cool. <laughs> that is very cool. Uh, so will there be a third ground rules or you have another one in the works? Oh yeah. I'm about to send the third one into my publisher. I think I have a title, but it's not official yet. So I don't want to mention it. But yes, it'll come oh, out come in on. 2023. Come on. You can share if well, the, it doesn't, the current, doesn't. Well, the current front runner is Flat White Fatality. <laughs> that might not make pass muster with the publisher, you don't think? Actually, that's the, the title they like. But so usually what happens for me is I send in a list of titles to my editor who mm. then kind of picks out his favorites. Then he talks to the marketing department and they look at and then they sort of discuss, and then they come back to me with their top choices. And in my editor usually says, this is the one I really like, but if you have a strong preference of these others, you can choose them. And then, and that's how we choose the title. No, I had joked that Flat White Corpse would also be a funny title, but <laughs> I really, I don't see us using that, even though it's hilarious. <laughs> and so we could look forward to that uh, within the year, I would think. Yeah, spring of 2023. How much research did you need to do to understand how a food truck works, particularly one that, that specializes in coffee? Well, I did sort of two different streams of research with that. One is how do food carts work? And I feel very lucky that I live in a city with a lot of carts and people that are very passionate about what they do. And they're almost always willing, if they have time, I would obviously wouldn't go up and ask this in the middle of like a lunch rush, but if they have time, they'll they're happy to talk about like what they do, what their challenges are, what's rewarding. And like I met someone that actually she was no longer running her card that had a waffle card and she was very blunt about how her and her husband spent six days a week, like 12 hour days, and they barely made minimum wage when they were running it, which is why they stepped away. You know, and other people that have little empires in their carts, for whatever reason, are doing a little better. And I really appreciate, like I said, how much people are willing to chat. And then I also had like the coffee research. And I did work when I was in school a little bit as a barista. I actually bought my first espresso machine when I was 14. I always enjoyed making coffee at home. I've played around with roasting coffee, but then I read um, a lot about kind of the foundation of coffee and like the evolution. Like there's a book, Uncommon Grounds, which is about the history of coffee from the legend of how a goat herder discovered it based because his goats ate some coffee beans and got really hyper, you know, to how coffee went from growing Ethiopia and then shoots of the plant were smuggled out and then they're grown worldwide and how was all this stuff happening? And it was a big deal. There's even an entire book called like, it's like the little book of coffee law. There's a lot of resources for people that want to roast coffee beans at home that get into what makes like different beans different and why the, the, the flavor profiles. And, you know, I can use all of that to adapt to what I write. And then I also talked with roasters. Again, I live in a city with a ton of micro roasters and again, most people are willing to talk about what they do if, you know, if they have time and if you're, of course, friendly, don't just run in demand. They tell you 
exactly what they're doing, but if like they're roasting beans in a shop and you're watching, a lot of times they'll be like, oh, you want me to tell you what we're doing? And just, they love sharing their knowledge. So I feel very lucky. Yeah. It sounds like you're in a great place for both topics to learn about. I think that's part of what makes this book like a uniquely Portland series, Mm -hmm. because it is a mix of things that we, we have here and that people love and people do truly care about. And Portland is a very unique city. Um, I mean, people probably think that about every city, but I've been to a lot of cities in this country and in Canada, and some cities are very unique and some are very much the same as certain other cities that I can attest. And Portland is one of those that is very unique. There aren't many Portlands or even close to Portlands out there. Yeah, I love the sort of artisan feel of the city of you know, you don't find many chain restaurants in a lot of the neighborhoods. They tend to be locally owned places, or if they are chains, they're like very small, like locally owned that has four locations, not big. You know, like you don't see nothing against Applebee's if that's your favorite place to go, but you don't see, you know, Applebee's all over. You see it some in the suburbs, you're more likely to find a neighborhood sports bar. Or like if, one thing I thought was really amusing in Portland now, there's going to be might be the first, it might not, a women-centric sports bar opening which just means that it's not that men aren't allowed. It's that they're going to default to showing women's sports on the big screens. So you're more likely to walk in and be like WNBA game instead of NBA, you know, and you'll have like local beers. And you see a lot of that in Portland with the different brew pubs and coffee shops and some fantastic food. And it's hilarious. Like we got recognized like the best pizza in the country. And I saw people fighting about it online because like, who says Portland's like the best pizza when you have Chicago or you have New York. And the article pointed out that in Portland, Whatever style you find, you it's probably made by someone that's like spent the last decade perfecting the dough and they have some complicated, you know, 12 hour process of making it and they know exactly where the cheese is from. And it's made to a very high quality, even if there's no one like singular style. And I think of that as Portland. We take things from all over and then obsess over to make it our own. And then get weird about it. <laughs> very, very weird about it. <laughs> Maybe add some tattoos commemorating that. Pizza dough, you just spent a decade developing. There you go. There you go. I love Portland. Don't get me wrong. Um, I used to always go to Seattle for uh, concerts when I lived in Spokane. If a concert was too big and it wasn't coming to Spokane because we had about a 10,000 sized arena was the biggest arena that we had in town. So some acts were not coming there. You know, they were coming to Seattle and Portland, but not Spokane. And I just couldn't get tickets to one in Seattle. So I got tickets to Portland and I've never gone back to Seattle for a concert since then. I always hit the Portland leg of the tour just because I love the vibe of the city. People in Seattle aren't going to like this uh, comparison, but the, the, the two cities to me, I feel like when I went to Seattle, Seattle looked at me and said, Hey, we're cool. Who the hell are you? And when I went to Portland, I got the feel of, Hey, we're cool. You look kind of cool too. You want to come be cool with us? And that was the difference of the vibe between the two cities for me. Now, I, I have friends in Seattle and and certainly listeners in Seattle and everything, but uh, that was just my own experience. Well, you know, I'm a, a Portland Timbers fan and Seattle is our jokingly like enemy to the death. And so whenever, it, I, 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 I don't get me wrong, I actually do like Seattle. It's a fun city to visit. But when anyone says like Seattle, I have to automatically go into like Timbers mode. <laughs> and I, most of the most of the, ch- the chants have, have swearing in them, so I won't do it now. <laughs> well, now that that's that's a soccer team, right? It is it's a an MLS soccer team. team, exactly. You and I were talking off mic. You actually have you're more than just a fan. You were a soccer referee at one time. 
I was. I refed um, indoor soccer, mostly adults, which is interesting. Because, so I think if you, if you referee, like, youth soccer, you end up dealing a lot with parents and a little bit of attitude from the kids. When you referee adults, you get people that maybe they played a lot growing up or they don't act or they, they just started and they don't fully get the rules. And you, a lot of times you get people that have been like really good and they don't want to admit that they've hit 30 or 40 and they've lost some speed and they get weirdly angry. One story I was telling you earlier that I think is pretty hilarious. I was refereeing a game and this guy, it was a co-ed game. I'm not entirely sure why he got really angry, but he ended up yelling obscenities in my face and I was very calm. I just red carded him. You know, and the person working behind the snack bar escorted him out. And a local sheriff for the metro region was actually there. And she approached me afterwards and asked if I'd ever wanted to be a police officer. <laughs> because I guess not reacting when people scream profanities in your face is a really good attribute. It is. But absolutely. I, find a, I think as a writer, it's also a really good experience because think of some of the weird, terrible reviews you get. <laughs> and it's, you know, once you've had someone twice your size screaming at you, it, those reviews just kind of wash off your back. And they don't have quite the same fear factor anymore, huh? Exactly. Uh, well, before we go, I did want to touch on something else. And that is, uh, if you could channel Kelly Garrett for a moment, Emmeline. Um, oh, you've written a young adult novel as well called The Last to Die. And if you could just kind of share a little bit about what that one's about, because it's also uh, a mystery thriller. It is. It's about a teenage burglary ring gone wrong, a group of teens who have they're a little too affluent for their own good and a little bored kind of create this game and they only break into each other's houses. And then they kind of get bored with that and they up the ante and some things go wrong and the first person dies. And then my lead character, Harper, who is an anti-hero, it's a, I'm a huge fan of anti-hero fiction, has to figure out what's going on because she doesn't want to be the next one to die. Now, I have read some of this, and I will say that Harper is an anti-hero, but she's also a very engaging one, a very interesting one. And that's really kind of the key to a good anti-hero, wouldn't you say? Oh, for sure. When you craft a good anti-hero, they have to be interesting in some way. You don't have to like them. Right. I would be a little concerned if someone was like, I want Harper to be my best friend. <laughs> but I hopefully they do want to like read her story and figure out why maybe not even why she is the way she is, since I think that's sort of answer, but that's that's not the point of the book. In ideal world, when you read Harper, you want to follow her journey and you want to see the path of discovery she's on, which you know, she matures in her very own unique way. There's no pretty bow at the end. So you're a big fan of antiheroes then, uh, not just in writing them, but also in reading them. That's right. I think they're some of the most, when they're done well, they're some of the best characters on the page because the writer is not worried about the reader liking them. So I think you can explore more facets of their personality because you're not afraid of turning the reader off. Mm -hmm. Yet you still figure out elements of them that are going to attract the reader that will make the reader want to continue following their journey, no matter where it takes you. Well put. Well put. Well, folks, that is Kelly Garrett's The Last to Die. You can check that young adult novel out. Uh, if you'd like to read something that is written for adults, not erotica, but just for adults here, uh, the Ground Rules series of mysteries, and I would call them cozies for sure, uh, maybe off cozy, if, <laughs> like I like off white. <laughs> Definitely cozies though, um, with great covers. The first one, Fresh Brood Murder, and the second one, Double Shot Death. So we got some great titles going on there. Those are by Emmeline Duncan. And uh, Emmeline, I want to tell you thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. This was fun. <laughs> 
right, folks, there you go. Emmeline Duncan slash Kelly Garrett. I had a great time chatting with her. Uh, I think both of her series are great series. I've, I've read some of The Last to Die. I haven't finished it yet, uh, but I am looking forward to uh, reading those cozies. And I'm not a big cozy reader, to be honest with you, for the most part. So it usually has to have something more than, than just that it's a mystery and that it's a cozy, something else to draw me in. And she's certainly done that with uh, Fresh Brood Murder and Double Shot Death. They both uh, have a little bit more going on. So I'm going to check them out. I hope you do as well. All right, on our next episode, we will have the feature episode for May. Uh, I will have a co-host, Dana King, agreed to uh, come on and co-host an episode. And uh, as I have all season, I ask the co-hosts to select the guest for the episode that they're going to co-host. And uh, Dana selected Neely Tucker, who is a fascinating guy with a very interesting background. And I can definitely see why Dana chose him. Uh, so uh, tune in next week as uh, Dana and I interview Neely Tucker. That's next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime. Uh, Zafiro update for you. Uh, I have been reminding uh, you all month uh, that uh, on April 15th, I released an anthology called The Tattered Blue Line, Short Stories of Contemporary Policing. Uh, this anthology contains 14 authors, all of whom are or have been law enforcement professionals and uh, writing contemporary short stories about the law enforcement experience uh, to really explore the humanity of the job and of those people that the men and women of the job interact with as well. Uh, so the Tattered Blue Line, short stories of contemporary policing available now digitally and in paperback. Last week, I mentioned the newest release in the Charlie 316 series, The Ride Along. Uh, this is a big book for me. I, I've been really looking forward to seeing it hit the shelves. And the reason for that is, is that uh, it is about a police officer and a police reform advocate, uh, both of them very good people with very strong ideas, who end up in a patrol car for a 10-hour graveyard shift together. So sparks fly, uh, not the romantic kind of sparks, but a uh, little anger at times, a little listening at times, uh, a little understanding at times, and uh, a little bit of a struggle as well. This was born out of my own frustration for the lack of understanding that people have of law enforcement uh, and law enforcement's own particular blindness that, that we in the profession have, have had, uh, as well as the fact that it seems like nobody listens to anybody. They just chant slogans and, and wait for their turn to make their point, uh, if they're kind enough not to shout over the person they're talking to. And uh, I find that particularly frustrating. And so I created a book where uh, people have to listen to each other because they're stuck in a car for 10 hours together. Uh, so I do hope you check that out. Book five in the Charlie 316 series available now from Original Ink Press, written by myself and Colin Conway. As long as we're talking about Colin Conway, uh, I do want to also tell you that uh, the third anthology uh, in his 509 Crime Stories collection, Backroad Bobby and His Friends, will be out on the 24th of May. My own story, The Escape of Jimmy the Saint, is included. So give that a look when it comes out on the 24th of May 2022. And if you're listening to this at a later date, hey, jump online and find it because there are some real cool people in it. Uh, many of whom have been on this program, so you'll recognize them if you're a longtime listener. 
not just the editor, Colin Conway, uh, but a few others you might remember from earlier this season, Susan Wingate, longtime friend of the show, Eric Beatner, uh, Dave Zeltzerman, who was the very first guest ever on this show. Uh, Spencer Fleury has been on the show. So has Kevin Tipple and Trey R. Barker and T.G. Wolf. Uh, and Greg Levin will be on the show later this season. So there's only a couple people in this entire collection who haven't been on the show. So if you're a longtime listener to Wrong Place or Right Crime, highly encourage you to pick up this uh, anthology and give it a read because you'll get a taste of uh, a whole bunch of people that you've already got a chance to listen to. All right. I want to say a thank you to Emmeline for being a great guest. Uh, thanks to Down Out Books for sponsoring the show. And of course, thank you for listening to the show, for being here. Uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time and being here. Uh, please uh, you know, share the show with anybody you think might like it. Uh, and certainly if you're someplace where you can rate it or review it, uh, that definitely helps as well. But most of all, if you like the person who's being interviewed, check out his or her work and uh, support the artists that you like because then they can keep creating that art that you like. All right, a feature episode with Dana King and Neely Tucker next week. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime. <laughs>